It is November 14, 2004. Two Navy pilots, Commander Dave Fravor and Lieutenant Alex Dietrich, are flying along the coast of San Diego, their eyes feverishly scanning the skies. They have been ordered to investigate an unidentified flying object recently spotted in the area. Suddenly, they see something. I said, dude, do you, do you see that thing down there? This is Fravor recounting the experience to 60 Minutes host Bill Whitaker in 2021. And we saw this little white, tic-tac-looking object, and it's just kind of moving above the whitewater area. It goes, and just turns abruptly and starts mirroring me. So as I'm coming down, it starts coming up. So it's, it's mimicking your moves. Yeah, it was aware we were there. You want to see how close I can get? So I go like this, and it's climbing still. When it gets right in front of me, it just disappears. Disappears? Disappears. Like, gone. And you saw no visible propulsion, no No. wings or anything to make it fly in our atmosphere? No. Just seconds later, another object was detected 60 miles away by a different naval ship, the USS Princeton. That object also appeared to defy the laws of physics and to possess technology significantly more advanced than the U.S. militaries. What were these objects? And how would they change the way we think about our universe if we weren't afraid to take them seriously? This is Illuminations, a limited series from Ministry of Ideas about the complex and captivating relationship between religion and science. In this episode, we'll be discussing a phenomenon that was long seen as a joke or a fantasy, unidentified flying objects. We'll ask what these objects imply about our place in the universe, how personal perspectives and emotions can impede the empirical science investigating them, and why sometimes, when it comes to testing the real boundaries of our knowledge, religion can actually make us more open to the discoveries that science has in store. The first big wave of unidentified flying object sightings began during World War II, when Allied pilots in both the European and Pacific theaters reported seeing puzzling lights or objects in the sky. They called these curiosities Foo Fighters, a nonsense term borrowed from a popular comic strip of the day. The U.S. military, concerned that some of these UFOs might pose a threat to national security, soon began to investigate sightings systematically. Under names like Project Sign, Project Grudge, and Project Blue Book, the Air Force examined more than 12,000 UFO reports between 1948 and 1969. These official programs were discontinued for lack of funding, but military personnel continued to report UFO sightings. Former Navy Lieutenant Ryan Graves, for example, says that pilots training off the Atlantic coast have been seeing unidentified flying objects almost daily since 2019. But for a long time, these sightings were kept secret. People talked about UFOs, of course, but from the mainstream perspective, they were more often the butt of a joke. Here's TV host Stephen Colbert in 2016 giving his impression of a UFO believer. The Late Show presents Stephen Colbert's tinfoil hat. As always, as always, we are brought to you by Reynolds Wrap. (laughs) Reynolds Wrap, the best way to keep the radio signals out of your skull and all the juicy flavor in. (laughs) 
The aliens will thank you when they pop a straw in your noggin to suck out your brains like a Capri Sun. <laughs> Welcome to the Truth Bunker. This is where I share the secrets they don't want you to know about, which have been revealed to me by my exclusive source, NyQuil Severe Cold and Flu. Mmm. <laughs> Speak to me, Dextromethorphan. Mockery around UFOs wasn't confined to late-night TV. After they reported what they had seen to their superiors, Fravor and Dietrich found the entire crew on their naval ship treating them like a joke. Here they are on 60 Minutes. I actually thought it was kind of funny and started yeah. giving us a lot of grief. Ridicule. Yeah. Ridicule. Yeah. Yeah. They made cartoons, and Nothing. on the ship's TV, they played Men in Black and Independence Day and... Signs. Signs. So they, they, they made fun of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did anybody take it seriously? Yeah, I believe the Admiral staff made a few phone calls, but that was the extent of it. The tone of the conversation changed, however, when previously classified reports of military UFO sightings were made public. In 2017, three videos were leaked to the New York Times. One of these videos showed Fravor and Dietrich's 2004 encounter. The other two videos were taken on Navy training flights in 2015. The US Navy has confirmed that these videos are authentic and that they depict phenomena that remain categorized as unidentified. The leak revealed something else to public attention as well. The government had been investigating UFOs once again. From 2007 to 2012, the Pentagon ran the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP. ATIP was technically unclassified, but pretty much nobody had ever heard of it. The program was initiated by the late Nevada Senator Harry Reid and headed by former counterintelligence agent Lou Elizondo. And it investigated UFO reports filed by military personnel. Once the military videos were released, and ATIP publicized, the national conversation around UFOs became a serious one. Suddenly, credible scientists and government officials were telling the American public that the long-ridiculed UFO actually does exist. I got involved in this. It was something that most people wouldn't touch. But I was willing to take a chance on it. As I look back, I'm glad I did, because we have... Uh, first of all, we've learned that there really are unidentified flying objects. We don't know what they are, but we do know they exist. This is Senator Harry Reid speaking with this episode's producer, Rachel Carbonara. You know, I think it established in my own mind that these aren't uh, coming from China or Russia or any other country. I think they're just what they've been classified as unidentified. ATIP closed in 2012, but investigations continue on, quote, unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAP. That's the new term for these things. In most official research on the subject, the term UFO is out and UAP is in. In 2020, Acting Senate Intelligence Committee Chair Senator Marco Rubio demanded a report from the Director of National Intelligence on UAP in American airspace. The report was submitted to Congress in June 2021. It suggested that UAP could be airborne clutter, natural atmospheric phenomena, U.S. government or industry developmental programs, 
or foreign adversary systems. No mention was made of extraterrestrial life. But the report's central conclusion is that, quote, limited data leaves most UAP unexplained. In fact, out of 144 UAP sightings from U.S. government sources, 143 remained unidentified. One thing hampering UAP research is stigma. According to anecdotal information in the report, dozens of military and government personnel observed UAP, but weren't willing to report what they saw because they were afraid of the mocking reaction they'd get, like the reaction that Fravor and Dietrich received. But the problem of stigma goes beyond the military. There are world-class scientists who believe from their research that some UAP could be extraterrestrial objects, But even these scientists can find their rigorous studies met with ridicule. My name is Avi Loeb, and I'm a professor of science at Harvard University. Loeb is an astrophysicist. He served as chair of Harvard's astronomy department for nine years. He's the founding director of Harvard's Black Hole Initiative. And he directs the Institute for Theory and Computation within the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. He's also a member of the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology at the White House. In 2017, Loeb hypothesized that an interstellar object detected above the Hawaiian sky may have been created by extraterrestrials. Producer Rachel Carbonara tells the story of this strange object. In 2017, an advanced Hawaiian telescope detected the first interstellar object to be observed traveling through our solar system. This object was given the name Amuamua, which is Hawaiian for a messenger from afar arriving first. Amuamua was initially thought to be a comet or an asteroid, but the more scientists examined the strange object, the clearer it became that it was neither a comet nor an asteroid. And furthermore, that it was moving too fast to be bound by the sun's gravity. So in other words, that it was an interstellar object. Most scientists maintain that Oumuamua must be some sort of interstellar rock. But Avi Loeb's hypothesis is that it is an artificial object, meaning that it was not naturally produced, but rather was created by intelligent life beyond our solar system. As it was tumbling around, the amount of sunlight that it reflected changed by a factor of 10. So it had a very extreme shape, most likely pancake shape, uh, based on the variation in the light. And then uh, as, as it was moving along its trajectory, there was an excess push away from the sun in addition to the force of gravity acting on it. And the only way I could explain it is uh, if the push comes from reflection of sunlight. So the object had to be very thin, just like a sail. And nature doesn't make sails. The question is who made Oumuamua? Most of Loeb's colleagues have rejected his hypothesis that a muamua is an artificially created object, but their refusal to take the possibility seriously may not be driven by scientific rigor. Loeb believes that this response is an emotional one. When it came to a muamua in the study of extraterrestrial uh, intelligence, I applied exactly the same methodology. So, uh, and then I realized this is not the same. Uh, In fact, there was a lot of emotion uh, associated with the response of the community to the suggestion that Oumuamua might be an artificial relic. And I'm getting a lot of personal attacks because of that. 
Loeb is a scientist with unbelievably impressive credentials, and he has scientific evidence for his hypothesis about an artificial interstellar object, just like he would for any other hypothesis. But his colleagues still haven't been willing to assess his theories through standard scientific methods. Instead, they tend to dismiss the theories out of hand. When it comes to UAPs, people treat the science differently. Why is the scientific community so reluctant? Part of it is um, jealousy about the attention that the subject gets from the public. Another, of course, uh, emotion is uh, that this is something we've never done in astronomy. It takes them out of their comfort zone. Uh, it involves a risk. But the point is that discovery in science always involves a risk. You always have to put some skin in the game, make predictions on things that you don't know whether they are real or true. But instead, what happens is when people get tenured, when they become tenured professors, they um, start to um, worry about their image, uh, their uh, reputation, and they aim at getting uh, recognition, awards, and honors. And uh, as a result, they don't take risks. When we had a, a, a lecture about this object, the, the first object from interstellar space that uh, was named Oumuamua, we had a lecture about it uh, at Harvard. And a colleague of mine that worked for decades on rocks in the solar system said after the talk, um, Oumuamua, this object is so weird, I wish it never existed. So that's a summary of why the mainstream scientists prefer not to discuss it, they wish nothing uh, unusual uh, violates the, their existing knowledge uh, so that you know they um, uh, can continue to believe that they know everything uh, and, and nothing really uh, new needs to be found. There's resentment at the popular attention lavished on UFOs. There's discomfort with delving into uncharted territory. But at its core, Loeb thinks that the stigma against UAP research is most fundamentally about fear. Fear of a massive shift in our cosmology, in how we understand humanity's place in the universe, and even what humanity is. Think about what happened when Galileo suggested the Earth moves around the sun in the 1600s. Starting with Aristotle, uh, who argued that we are at the center of the universe, for a thousand years, people thought that that's indeed the case. And of course, it's flattering to our ego to think that we are central. And uh, when uh, Galileo suggested otherwise, the philosophers at the time refused to look through his telescope. They said that they know the answer. The, uh, the sun moves around the earth. You can see it moving in the sky. Therefore, they don't need data. And in fact, they put him in house arrest uh, so that others will not listen to him. And all that did was maintain their ignorance. The lesson from that is that, you know, we should not close the curtains on our windows and claim that we are the smartest in the universe because we'll be repeating the same mistake by claiming that we are unique and special and privileged uh, in terms of our intelligence. Uh, we simply might uh, not realize that uh, we are surrounded by smarter neighbors uh, and not looking through the windows doesn't make them go away. Based on his UAP research, Loeb has hypothesized that there may be extraterrestrial forms of life. He believes that people struggle to accept this idea, not because there's no scientific evidence for the possibility, but rather because it demands such a radical shift to our view of humanity. 
we are now at a point where there is some interesting evidence that could indicate uh, that we are on our path to discover uh, extraterrestrial uh, life and intelligence. And, and this is a very special time in the history of humanity. Uh, if we find a relic, even one uh, single uh, artifact from another technological civilization, it would have a huge impact on society, on our perspective about our place in the universe, about our uh, aspirations uh, for space, about our religious beliefs concerning God, and uh, you know about our philosophical um, views about how we should treat each other uh, as part of the human species. But the major challenge posed by Loeb's hypothesis is not just the idea that we might have interstellar neighbors. It's that these beings might be smarter than we are, that humans might not be the most powerful or intelligent life form in existence. If Loeb is able to prove that Oumuamua is an artificial object, it would mean that the civilization which produced it is more technologically advanced than our own. This discovery would demand another humbling revision of our sense of ourselves. It would affect our ego, right? So there is this aspect of thinking that we are special and unique. And of course, that would be shattered the moment we find another civilization that is actually more advanced than we are. Loeb could be right that UAP research is stigmatized largely because of the massive shift it demands in how we think about humanity's place in the cosmos. But such a shift would not be equally extreme for everyone. In some communities, belief in extraterrestrial life is common. One example is my own religious community, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the LDS Church or the Mormon Church. Mormon theology teaches that the Earth is only one of God's infinite number of created planets, many of which are also populated with his children. For Mormons, extraterrestrial beings are believed to be out there right now. And whatever they're like, they are assumed to be, in some sense, our siblings. Senator Harry Reid, who initiated the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, was also a member of the Mormon Church. For him, Mormon cosmology increased his own openness to examining the scientific data for UAP. It's no secret I'm a member of the Mormon Church, LDS Church. No secret that Joseph Smith just very early on talked about other worlds, more worlds than just the one world. And I accept that and I agree with it. It's made my mind one that has been more open to these uh, pieces of evidence. Reed emphasized that UAP remain unexplained and that further scientific research is needed to uncover their origins. However, if the evidence does one day point towards extraterrestrial life, Reed says he would have no problem accepting that conclusion. I believe that if we think, I'm repeating myself, but we think that we're it and there's no other civilization some other place in this great universe I think we're uh, being short-sighted. I'm not um, so naive as to think that there's a little speck we call Earth floating around in this huge universe that we're part of. I can't believe that we're, we're it. There's nothing else to it. I, I believe that, that we should have an open mind and understand it's very, very plausible, not logical, 
is life put in other places? They've been asked that question. What if, what if it's proven that UFOs are from someplace else? And would I just say I accept that? There's this popular story that religious people struggle to accept new scientific truths. It happened with Galileo's theory of heliocentricity. It happened with many American Christians who still struggle to accept the theory of evolution. But the reality is that all of us, even scientists, struggle to accept new ideas that challenge our existing worldviews. What helps us to be open to change is to recognize that our current understanding is inherently limited. That our world and the universe is vast and full of wonders yet to be explored. At its best, religion can help us remain open to those wonders and mysteries of the cosmos. That was certainly the case with Senator Reid. And Avi Loeb has found that to be true as well. There was um, a magazine of, uh, Orthodox, of the Orthodox Jewish uh, community in Brooklyn, uh, New York City, uh, that approached me and wanted to write um, a cover story about my book um, a couple of months ago. And after this uh, story appeared uh, in the magazine, I got an email from a colleague of mine at Harvard, uh, Professor Stephen uh, Greenblatt, who said, it looks like the Orthodox are more open-minded towards your ideas than the, your colleagues uh, in academia. They were very interested, um, you know, they were willing to um, learn everything I know on the subject without prejudice. That was remarkable to me. And uh, I should say the same is true uh, in the Christian uh, religion. I would argue that nowadays uh, religious people are much more open-minded to the possibility that there there is life out there, that uh, perhaps even intelligent life. And uh, in fact, I was told by many religious people that they can accommodate that into their belief system. People that, you know, have an interest in spirituality are very much thinking that the physical reality that we are witnessing on a daily basis is not everything that is out there. So perhaps they are more open-minded because of that. The tools of science have dramatically increased our understanding of the natural world revealing in greater detail its beauty and complexity. But sometimes, our reliance on science to explain the world can ossify into only accepting what we currently understand, staying closed off to new ideas and possibilities. The truth is that scientific breakthroughs are often not a result of pure rationality, but rather of imagination, of creative vision and combination. Religious belief can help to foster that imaginative openness to new understanding. Faith consistently reminds that there is a reality beyond what we currently perceive. It's an ongoing invitation to epistemic humility and curiosity. We don't know for sure if our planet has been visited by extraterrestrials. But I do believe that there is still so much left to be discovered if we are just willing to keep our eyes and hearts open. This episode was produced by Rachel Carbonara. Special thanks to Kate Dorsch for her help with this episode. Illuminations is a limited series from Ministry of Ideas. We are based at Harvard Divinity School and supported by the Templeton Foundation. Illuminations is produced by me, Zachary Davis, Leah Rechtman, Maria Devlin-McNair, and Nick Anderson. 
Script editing is by Galen Beebe. Sound design and music is by Steve LaRosa. And artwork is by Dan Pecci. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support us by sharing the show with your friends, subscribing, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. For more information or to get in touch, visit our website at ministryofideas.org. Ministry of Ideas is a proud member of Hub & Spoke, a collective of carefully crafted, idea-driven podcasts. You can check out all of our shows at hubspokeaudio.org. Today, I'd like to invite you to listen to the Hub & Spoke show, The Lonely Palette, hosted by the brilliant and soulful Tamar Abishai. The Lonely Palette uses art to tell larger stories about life, society, and the meaning of existence. Learn more and listen at thelonelypalette.com. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.